Hello. Hey there. How's it going? Good. That <laughs> <It> was. <laughs> <laughs> it's rhetorically not rhetorical. Okay, well, I answered it anyway. Yeah. I'm good. How are you? Great. Uh, great. I got new shoes on. They're yellow. They're, they're, if you, right, so when is this coming out? It's uh, coming out next week, so, which is now if you're listening to this. But Chris has very interesting shoes on. Yeah, I got some new vans. They're multicolored. Um, pred- like the predominant color is yellow. The predominant color is yellow. Yellow, blue, and red. Yellow's on like the pit where you would put your toes. Am I right? Uh, yeah, uh, the upper. <laughs> oh, did uh, you hear that? Crackle? I did hear that. Yeah. yeah, we'll deal with that. Um, so this is uh, podcast number three, uh, and it's actually the second interview we've done. We we were going to try and alternate them, uh, like interview content, interview content, but it didn't work out that way, did it? It's a bit like life. Sometimes you plan things, and yeah. sometimes. Well, here's a segue. Oh, segue. Because life the segue. drummer that we interviewed improvises, we have just improvised. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, so <laughs> uh, we just interviewed a, a, a wonderful man called Richard Cass. Great player, a eh? Great fella. Phenomenal. I, th- Richard Cass has probably forgot more about drumming than I think I'll ever know. Yeah, he's becoming one of those... Uh, guys that's just like polyrhythm master yeah um which is amazing he's a very very talented player <clears throat> as uh you will hear in the links that we posted like um you know, the way we did it any breaks in conversation we filled uh with um examples of the band and richard's playing so mm-hmm. you you'll hear it um on the on the on the podcast yeah. but yeah we gleaned a lot from listening to richard and i hope you guys do too yes enjoy Hello, yeah, everybody. Uh, podcast number three. Um, the trifecta. Indeed. Um, thank you to those that have listened to one and two. Uh, it's grown. We have more listeners. I don't know if you know, Chris, but I think we're now a bit of a big deal. Are we? <laughs> a kind of a big deal. <laughs> kind of a big deal now. Um, so, uh, yeah, this is number three. And for our third one, uh, we have brought a local hero. So uh, we have the one and only Mr. Rich Cass with us today. Hello, Rich. Hey, how you doing? Very well, how are you? Yeah, good, really good actually. Um, I was going to start leading the introduction about what you do and who you do it with, but it's probably better if you do it. So if you could tell everybody that doesn't know who you are, what you do. Uh, Well, probably unsurprisingly for most people listening to this, I play drums. Um, Yeah, that's it. Cool. <laughs> and, and no, short and sweet. <laughs> uh, I'm a, a, a farmer. No. Um, so who do you play drums with? Um, so probably my my main gig at the moment is um, a thing I've been doing for the last couple of years with Trio HLK and Evelyn Glennie. Um, so I've been been sort of touring that particular thing since the start of March 2018. So I guess about a year and a half. Um, do lots of other freelance things as well as most most guys do, um, and I've got a few other projects. I do this this thing kind of for my own enjoyment called drum interpretations, mm-hmm. which is um, about 
taking pieces of music which were composed for other instruments and working out how to play them on on drum kits and things um and yeah all kinds of different things but th- those two things are probably the main two things that i wake up and think about at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes um, in cold sweat the <laughs> If anyone has checked out Trio HLK, they'll realise that it's pretty dense. Um, it's really amazing music, but it's 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 pretty sophisticated. So, how do you come up with writing music that way, and how do you come up with interpreting what the guys will bring into you if you haven't written the tune and and all that stuff? Um, well, ooh, I guess there's quite a lot to unpack there because. The three of us in the trio have been playing together for quite a while now, um, like since 2015. So um, we've developed a lot of stuff together in that time by playing together, by hanging out together. Um, I could give you a few examples, maybe I will in a minute, um, of of the way that certain things have evolved. But um, I guess we we all share a love of rhythm to begin with um and we all have quite different backgrounds so rich harold who's the sort of principal composer and pianist he um he was like classically trained and then he went to the royal academy in london and then yale um in the states to do um he actually like uh, specialized in composition um so his background is perhaps probably primarily in classical music but you know we all listen to and play a lot of jazz music and he certainly does a lot of that and listens to a, a real wide variety of things. So I don't want to pigeonhole him, but that's, you know, where he's coming from originally was probably that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, um, and what's his background? He, he's, he's done loads of different things, but primarily plays, plays jazz and improvised music. He also plays in the sax player, um, Tim Garland's group and amongst various other things. Mm-hmm. And um, I I guess I started out just playing along to, like, pop punk records, but eventually things changed quite a lot. Um, Who was your favourite to play along to? Uh, I don't think I really cared. You know, when you <laughs> like, when I, when I was, like, 14 or 15 and I first started drumming, I would just listen to, like, you know, anything, like, Green Day, Blink-182, like, whatever was on Kerrang. Yeah. Uh, like whatever my friends were listening to, Led Zeppelin, Foo Fires, like uh-huh. just anything like that. But I really got into rhythmic stuff a little bit later on um, when I kind of got a bit more serious about it. But yeah, we all come from really different backgrounds. Um, but since we've been playing together and working with the music, we shared a lot of experiences, be it um, playing the music together, seeing stuff. Uh, and so we have a lot of similar reference points and we discuss the music a lot. So... Every single composition is different, so it's quite hard for me to answer the question as to like what 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 do I play when something comes in. But I guess the first thing that would happen is Rich might come in with a draft of the music, and he would might give some directions as to what he's thinking about, and then often he would leave it with me um, mm. to 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 work on stuff for a while. And probably if you're listening to a record at a concert, about half of what you hear is improvised, and about half of it is notated in terms of the the length like of a song if you mm-hmm. listen to a yeah, 17 yeah. minute composition so um often i just try and like really check out what's happening in all the other music and then what the role of the drum kit should be and mm-hmm. maybe there's some discussion about that yeah. and then i start um 
maybe writing, maybe improvising. I try to make sure I try and work on a lot of stuff at the kit, but I also try and not be limited by what I can play. So I spend a lot of time looking at dots, thinking about it and thinking what would sound good and then experiment with it. And then we'll get together and play stuff. Um, obviously, when, when he arrives with the dots, we'll play stuff, but that's not necessarily what I'm going to finish. That's not going to be the finished product is what the first thing I play is when the chart goes down or whatever. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, yeah. So obviously that's fairly involved then. That's not like you're just knocking out a groove because... The music's I mean, rhythmically very challenging. Time signatures are dense, floating rhythms, lots of polyrhythm. How does Evelyn fit in with you then? If you've constructed a part, where does she is she just playing texture or is she playing integral parts? So both, and again, it depends on the on the piece. But um, sometimes she'll be playing texturally. Sometimes she will be soloing. Um, Sometimes she will be trading, uh, sometimes she will be comping, and again, that's evolved. I think the one thing that we all share in the group is a, a constant want for things to be better. Mm -hmm. So everyone's always open to criticism, and everyone's always open to development. So pretty much after every show, we will say, oh, that was good tonight, that didn't work. Should we try a different approach to this? And every time we go to go and see a show or... Um, like an example actually was last year we did three nights at Ronnie Scott's um, opening for Chris Potter and every night we would well actually every day we would rehearse the music um, work on some different things then we would go to the, and play and then we'd stay and watch the show and then the next day we'd chat about <laughs> what was great about it and then we'd be like oh let's think about trying to do this with the improv let's really strip it out let's why don't we try this approach tonight? So there's like a constant um, evolving of everybody's role and, and what works. But specifically with the four of us, how everyone fits in, say on the, I'll go from the last concert, last set list, the first tune she played on, there's a duet between her and Rich where they're trading. Um, and then we, are all, we all have parts which are interlocking. So she's mm -hmm. playing some, some melody and reinforcing some stuff and then she's soloing and then she was trading with Ant and then there were like written parts where she's again re reinforcing the melody or mm -hmm. sometimes she's she's laying out the harmony so it just it just depends but everyone does have like pretty clear roles for the written materials to what they're trying to do and how things should hook up Oop. um and in the in the improv it's kind of a case of of listening to each other uh -huh. and and working out what your role is by what's happening. So it's not really too far removed from a traditional jazz ensemble in that respect? Um, for the improv, yeah, yeah I'd say 100%. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, yeah. that's where all the improv comes from. There's the direct influence of all the great um, mm -hmm. jazz groups and musicians that we check out. Yeah. Yeah. How do you find it without a bass player? I would find that really interesting to do. Uh, well, I guess the bass is shared a bit. So Ant plays an eight-string guitar, which mm -hmm. goes down to... Um, I think it goes down to a little C. Right. And Rich, as well as playing the bass on the piano, has mm -hmm. a, a Moog Little Fatty. Right. So between the two of them, the bass is outlined um, pretty well. So mm -hmm. I don't know, say, example, for example, there's a guitar solo, Rich will often be playing the bass right. and vice versa. And again, we've kind of just developed relationships with that. So, mm -hmm. like, Ant and I have got our own things in terms of, like, comping and playing together as a unit when Rich is soloing and mm -hmm. vice versa. And one of the nice things about the sort of trio format is that sometimes one of us, which could be me, 
is like maybe holding the form together and the other two guys are able to um to kind of have a conversation or go a bit more off piste or so the relationship can change within 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 a solo form or something so it's kind of there's a lot of options and it, it's quite nice to to be like okay we're we're hooking up us two now or okay mm. i'm laying it down so actually i quite like it it feels it feels kind of free and i guess it's not really the kind of music where um there's loads and loads of direct reference points like this is four four yeah. three hundred bpm mm. a b a <laughs> yeah. so a lot of stuff we kind of have to work out what what works by playing and deciding what sounds good and refining it. So we've yeah. just kind of done that, and I have never really thought about the fact there's not a bass player because right. okay. there's never been one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, does it, uh, uh, this is kind of twofold because it relates to your drum interpretations project as well. How do you decide what gear to use? Because your kit changes quite a lot. I, I've seen it. Yeah, I've seen it. You know, your symbols will change out. Is that a feel thing? Like I don't feel like playing an ozone tonight. I don't. F I'm not hearing that sound, or it's a bright room. I don't really need it. Or, well, I think with the what we all call the H A H H L K G, the like mm -hmm. the trio and Evelyn. For a long time, I kind of had almost the same rig, right. um, and then as I got a bit more comfortable with it and as things start to evolve yeah I would just start to chuck things in like the other night was the first time I played with uh, a couple of cowbells set up to my right I hadn't done that before and it worked pretty well and I was like oh that's quite cool and there's a couple of things I didn't set up so I do kind of tweak things but the core is always the same um, and symbol wise Actually, symbolize. I have changed a few things, but for for that stuff, it's generally roughly the same stuff because I know what kind of works. And then it's about, yeah. Sometimes, if if the room's really bright, I might not use a certain thing. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes, if the stage is quite big, I might have a couple things with me, and I'll be like, well, I'll put them there, and maybe I'll play them, maybe I yeah. won't. Um, mm. With the drum interpretations thing, every one has a bespoke setup yeah because we were looking at this today right mm -hmm. it's like the hungarian rock thing and then the buddy thing the, the, the drum setup couldn't be any different or the steve reich thing like yeah and how do you decide how to tune it you know it's like so bespoke so i treat i try and treat each one as its own like bespoke project and not to sound too wanky if i can say mm -hmm. that of course, um, of course yeah like i try and think about the whole thing on an artistic level so i think right i'm going to play this piece of music what's the best instrumentation to represent it so i tend to listen and then again without singing the drums think about what i'd like to hear or what would work well and then maybe put that together and then play it and then reflect on it mm -hmm. um so with the buddy one i wanted it to just be like a four-piece bop yeah, kit yeah yeah totally even though he never played an 18 inch bass drum as far as i'm aware um i just kind of wanted to to try and play a setup which was kind of in the jazz tradition mm -hmm. and make that work um and i thought it would look good with the video and i thought sonically the sounds of what to get for the speech um would work like depending on how much you really want to listen to it like 18 times you might notice <laughs> that every time the same phrase comes up i would use the same so if you said like what do you what do you every time it would be the same um orchestration on the drum yeah, kit yeah, yeah. and then would go off each time and things so 
there was a lot of repetition which would allow for that and I thought it would it would just kind of look good thematically to have that um, whereas with a Hungarian rock that was a ligety piece and I wanted to play a, a keyboard or a piano piece on drums because I've always found the relationship between the piano and the drums quite interesting they're quite similar in a lot of ways both percussion instruments right yeah both percussion instruments both require a lot of like rhythmic independence so with that I wanted to play the left hand part with the feet and the right hand part with the hands and so that's that's kind of what I approximated doing and so the left hand part was quite repetitive so I could do that with with five five wood blocks on five sonar perfect balance pedals which is why I own six of those <laughs> pedals um, and then um, had lots and lots of drums and bells and things to basically have enough notes to, to play all the runs and I still had to make some compromises but um, and then I would just check out loads of different versions of of that mm-hmm. uh, ligety piece and and be like, oh, well, what what would make that pitch sound good when the high register of the organ or some Remo spokes sound quite similar? Some right. chimes. So mm-hmm. yeah, I just put it to get put it together like that. That was like my my piano, as it yeah, were. Yeah. Whereas the the beatbox one, Tigre and Hamasium one, there was a small amount of sounds. So again, I wanted to try and have just like kick snare hats, and right. then ended up chucking one or two more things in because there was a second snare sound I could hear in the, in his voice. Uh, what was the third one? Oh, and the Reich one. Yeah. Because it was multiple rhythms which went out of phase. I set up this almost symmetrical kit because I wanted it to look like synchronized swimmers, you know, when things go out and then come back together. Yeah. So I wanted it to visually represent the rhythms. So for that, I really do think about what it, what it principally what it sounds like but also what it looks like and how the whole thing will fit together because mm-hmm. for me with that stuff ultimately I want to create a body of work that I'm proud of and that if I hadn't been involved with it I would appreciate on some level or other mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah so see that, that goes to show like man like if people think like oh yeah I'm pretty much done learning drums it's like mm-hmm. man just yeah, like just all about being creative isn't it? totally mm-hmm. totally so is that, is that like on a real sort of drum nerd level does that even inform things like head choices uh, yes, I so guess like, so. Because you used to, like the the Reich piece. How many drums did you use for the Reich piece? Like, because oh. if I'm right, is there a bass drum? There is. So there's just one bass drum, and then it's loads of toms and snares. There's there's kind of two bass drums, but one of them's actually a floor tom conversion. Right. So because it's hard to see because you filmed it from above, right, to get your whole image thing. Yeah, working. yeah. So. Um, Depends on how much detail you want to go oh, into like here, but as much as you want to go deep, man. Okay, so the piece is clapping music by Steve Reich, and the whole thing works around uh, this idea that there's three claps, then two claps, then one clap, then two claps, with one uh, one rest in between. So you get like, and originally the piece is written for two or more performers, and one person keeps clapping that rhythm, and the other person plays the same rhythm but it starts to displace by mm-hmm. a quaver each time and after 12 times round it resolves so um i just had for eat for this rhythm the three claps got played on snare drum the two claps got played on like a high tom the one clap got played on a low tom and then the two claps back to the high tom so there's like a clear um orchestration of of those notes and then one hand plays one rhythm, one plays the other, and then the bass drum plays a half tempo and then a quarter <laughs> tempo of the same of the same rhythm while the left foot plays the the clave. Um 
so they it's not a, all. yeah <laughs> yeah i was yeah yeah it's it certainly yeah it was it was definitely a bit of a brain melter but um the idea was f- for visually people to be able to see and also audibly hear by using that specific orchestration the same theme appearing in different places and i quite liked that you could just close your eyes and to me it sounded like kind of had some some similarity to some of the like Gambian and mm-hmm. um, Ghanaian stuff I've been listening to. It kind of can just wash over you. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, so for that, um, it has a 10-inch, 8-inch, 10-inch snare, 8-inch tom, 10-inch snare, I think, on the left hand. And then the right hand was like 14-inch snare. Oh, I can't remember. Basically, I had three snares and then two toms with each hand and then two bass drums instead of toms with the feet. Man. So, if anybody hasn't picked up on it yet, Rich's independence is monstrous. Like, the independence, the independence it takes to play the pieces of music that he's chosen to play and interpret is is a tremendous skill. Even if that's all you ever accomplished, that's probably more than most will ever accomplish. So in order to get it to the point where you can just play a piece of music, what does it take to learn to do that for just... You know, you, you've been studying clave a lot, left-footed clave, right-footed clave, three over two versus two over three and all these kind of things. How long does that process take you? Because must take ages. Um... Well, I mean, first of all, I think I've still, well, I know I have a lot to learn. So it's, it's kind of easy to say, but like, you know, the, the the possibilities rhythmically are endless. So I just kind of try and keep my head down and keep working on things. But mm-hmm. um, I think number one is something, some of those things did take a long time, but I try not to think about that and try and just think about small goals mm-hmm. and just like I... I have a vision of where I want it to be. And for the drum interpretations thing, they're signed off to a certain extent once I've recorded them. And so I just know I've been doing it long enough that if I just keep like practicing and working on things and being like studious and disciplined, that things get there in the end um, as long as you're willing to like take them slow enough and break them down enough. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I guess... Um, in terms of how I worked on independence, I always just focus on the relationship between whatever the rhythms you're going to try and play. So if it's, say, playing a left foot rumba clave, there are 16 places you can play that because the pattern takes, um, if you're counting it in eighth notes, it takes two bars Mm -hmm. to resolve. So there are 16 eighth notes there. Mm -hmm. So just, like, the first thing I would do is, like, play that pattern and play every possible place you can play in those two bars and hear how the two rhythms relate because they actually form a rhythm together when you yeah. mentioned interdependence it's being able to hear the two and how they relate as opposed to like trying to keep one thing going and play on top of it which for me has never really worked that well mm-hmm. whereas um like always trying to subdivide always trying to th- like even visualize how the rhythms relate and all that kind of stuff that i find that really helpful so i would just start small and try and master that's the simplest thing so like the time feels good and um i'm able to like maybe talk or counter to some of the benny greb stuff while i'm doing it mm-hmm. you know to develop headroom and then just 
make it harder. So take <laughs> some new breed material. Or, right. Okay. And then, you know, when that's going on, you could add in another limb. But I always just try and s- slow stuff down, look at manageable chunks and try and, and make sure I can master it and not... Whenever I don't do well, it's when I try and do too much and yeah. my ego gets in the way and I'm like trying to like run before I can walk or whatever. So I I think for me, discipline practice helps a lot and also builds freedom. Like I don't want to turn up and play in a gig and be really boring mm. uh, and just be like, oh, I have to do this. But ironically, that approach means that like loads of things can happen because I've spent so much time making sure that there's nowhere in the bar line which is going to throw me off and then yeah. going to get me darked out because <laughs> I've messed it up on the gig or whatever, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Do you Jocko um, Willink? Uh, no. No, he's an a, a ex-Navy SEAL and jiu-jitsu fighter and stuff. He's discipline equals freedoms, his whole thing. Cool. His whole thing is like, if he gets up at 4.30 every morning, like, it takes a picture of his watch and he Instagrams it to let everybody know I was up at 4.30 and he just gets after it. And his, wow. whole, his whole vibe is like, yeah, discipline equals freedom. So the more disciplined you are, the freer you actually are. Yeah. Which is a strange correlation. Yeah. You know, if you do that disciplined practice all the time, it gives you all this facility. It definitely helps. I think also um, just it's easier when you when you get somewhere with anything. So, like, it's probably really hard to get up at 4.30 for the first little while. But, like, say you you go up a belt in jiu-jitsu or you, you win a competition. or mm-hmm. As soon as things start to pay off, it, for me, it becomes a self-motivator. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, oh, um, yeah. like, one of the things that's been really helpful is, like, I have been quite fortunate for some videos to do well or some people that I know to have said some nice things about what I'm doing. And that's a real catalyst to just keep going or when something's not going so well, be like, well, I found this other thing really hard and I managed to get to a point where some people I like enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. So again, yeah, that yeah, yeah. sometimes the hardest thing is the initial motivation. So yeah. if anybody checks out the podcast and is finding any of that stuff hard, like I also find it hard. Yeah. Um, but it's know, just perseverance through it. Perseverance and just making the problem small enough that you can make progress with it sometimes, yeah. you know. Yeah, that's maybe a good way to put it. I've never really thought about it like that. Just yeah. make it smaller. Yes, you know, because yeah. your, your problems actually pro- like an independence things. If it becomes two beats that you succeed at doing, well, it's two beats more than you did instead of getting bummed out about the six you didn't do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess also, um, oh, what was I going to say? <laughs> um, yeah, that I th- I'm a big fan of trying to get things to the point that they're consistent, and so just trying to focus on getting something so it sounds consistent and sounds like really good all the time or what what I deem to be really good or as good as I can get it is far more important than like having like a hundred things none of which sound really good because they're inconsistent because they haven't been mastered yeah you know what I mean mm-hmm. do you ever when you're working stuff out do you ever go I'm gonna like paraphrase a saying here but do you go like rhythm blind a little bit because you've got so many going through your head that you're just kind of like ah like I can't like process all of this in one go because I sometimes struggle with that even with like between two hands never mind four limbs you know like yeah, I guess so. Uh, I guess like sometimes like CPU overload, this stuff definitely, yeah, uh, yeah. definitely <laughs> like it can be Does quite. Compute. <laughs> yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, and whenever that happens for me, it's a sign that I need to either like take five minute break, slow it down, 
or break it into a more manageable chunk sometimes. Yeah. Like, and that's why, because as soon as I'm approximating something, I'm programming it in, in a way which is probably going to come out sounding approximated. And if I listen back to a recording and it, like the time doesn't feel stable or the articulation's not right or it sounds approximated, I normally like hate it because mm. <laughs> that like what I deem to be good is is not that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like based on my my beliefs about how music should sound or the music mm. that I play should sound anyway. Yeah. How do you pick pieces for the interpretations thing? Like, what made you pick Tigran? Is it just because it's rhythm um, led, or I've gone through loads. In fact, more have hit the cutting room floor than I've put out. Right, and I've actually like memorized a couple and then decided they're not right. So there's been a lot of in quote unquote wasted time. But um, for the for the series, I want to do eight. I've done four so far mm-hmm. and I want to explore, as I was saying before, different things, different types of music which were not written for or improvised on the drum kit. Um, and I want to do it through the instrument which I have the most facility on, which is the drums. So I kind of am just open to doing different things and trying to make them interesting. And I've, I went to see Tigran play a few years ago now at uh, the Bim House in Amsterdam. Mm. He's and it was Yeah. Uh, he's so great, and his band were absolutely Who killing. Who played drums? Was it Nate or was it Arthur? Arthur, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. And um, again, coming back to that shared experience thing, I was with Rich Harold, and there was a, a tune that we worked on after that where we both said, like, yeah, I've definitely been influenced a bit in how I'm approaching this from that concert we went to see. Those shared experiences come out a lot. But um, So I was really familiar with his music, and I'd seen that clip a few times, and... I was aware that there was a lot of interesting rhythmic language going on in the beatboxing over that piano vamp. And I thought, like, I really want to get this together. So um, I, I just started transcribing it. And I guess that's one thing I would... Not that I'm sure anybody wants advice from me, but if anyone <laughs> does, um, if you're curious about something, like, try and, and work it out and obviously seek help and stuff. But I found that one of the most rewarding things in, in music is when you just hear something and you're interested in it. And you like try and transcribe a bit of or learn a bit of it, and then sometimes, some suddenly at some point you're like, "Wow, that stuff that I think is really killing that someone else has played, I have a tiny bit of that vocabulary." Like yeah, yeah. it feels amazing <laughs> to like get closer to being able to recreate the sounds that you love. Um, yeah. So yeah, uh, I just I just started transcribing it, and then um, I had the idea of doing these drum interpretations thing. And before I did it, I played a drum show. Um, Oh yeah, yeah, that's ago. right. Yeah. So for that, I memorized it, and that's, that's something I do. All the interpretations is I memorize them, as opposed to reading them, so that they're internalized and hopefully I take more from them in my playing elsewhere. But um, so I had that down, and weirdly, what happened was because I happened to just be in doing the the Ligeti one, and I thought if I've got time, I'll do the Tigran one because I've played it before and I know it, and I put it down and then listened to them and thought, yeah, they would work well as the first two. And the Tigran ones like had the most hits out of all of them. It still had almost half a million views on the Percuss wow. IO Props. Um, video. I think I think like it was probably like four hundred and something thousand. So like still quite far away from half a million. It's a actually, lot, man. But, um, but yeah, that like I almost didn't record that. I just happened to have it down and thought it would work quite well. And we once we recorded the Ligeti one, there was still time in the studio to do the other one. So we stripped the kit down. 
threw up the other kit and just boshed it out and then yeah it ends up being <laughs> the, the one that people like the yeah, most just boshed it out so yeah. like no time at all just yeah. farted it out well <laughs> well I guess prior to that a lot of prep had gone yeah, into it so it was there yeah. but yeah but uh, yeah just amazing to watch really really fascinating stuff it's, I don't think there's anybody doing anything like it um, thanks I'm glad I don't no, know no no I don't think I've seen anything like it at all it's really great I'm glad you like them I'm going to switch gears a little bit Okay. Um, now, here, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, this is the actual Ria, switch gear one. Ria. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> right, Rich Cass doing the sound of a gearbox is possibly my favourite thing that's ever happened. <laughs> um, so, you've done a few pop gigs, haven't you? I have done a few pop gigs, yeah. <laughs> Who is it you've played with before? Um, well, quite a, f- quite a few at different points in different guises, but I guess like some of the things that I did were the Sugar Babes. The Wanted um, did some stuff from some of the folks from Noisettes. Oh, wow. uh, did um, Messina from the States who works with Common and a few other people. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's not pop. It's probably more, I don't know what it is, but I also did the So Me gig. Mm-hmm. She's kind of, I don't know what, what that music is. It's, it probably isn't pop, but it's like a singer gig, so yeah. I'll call it pop. <laughs> um, so, so uh, in terms of what you do now, like, because that's obviously a very different world. Like, yeah. it's a lot, I guess, like, musically, the music's, I guess, a lot simpler, but it's like, obviously, you're out on the road, that kind of thing. So how did you, how do you find that? Or how did you find working in that kind of vibe compared to what you do now? I mean, it feels like a different time in my life to be honest Um, but I guess what I should probably explain which I don't think I've ever talked about before is that I actually had a moment where I decided I wanted to give up drumming and then um, sort of decided not to and then about two years later I quit almost all my gigs apart from apart from the trio and a couple other things um, and took a teaching gig so uh, essentially, when I left uni, I briefly went to New York. And then when I came back, I got a musical theater gig. And I, you know, I was just sort of like had enough work, like random gigs to pay the bills. And I was like, well, I'll probably have to get a job at some point. But if this keeps up, then that's great. And mm-hmm. you know, I didn't have high expenses or anything. And then um, someone I went to uni with had a, had a gig with a, a pop singer called Carrie Mack who had signed a deal with a label and also involved in the, were, uh, I think, Barrow Media that own all the independent radio stations in the UK. So mm-hmm. it was getting a lot of airplay and she was doing some high-profile supports with, like, Alex, Alexandra Burke mm-hmm. and a bunch yeah. of other people. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, he called me and said, oh, it's not really worked out with the drummer and we're having an audition. Do you want to come along? Uh, and I was like, yeah, totally. So I went along to the audition and got this gig and suddenly was just like doing lots of like cool, interesting things. And through that gig, and the, one of the persons that was producing it was a guy called John McLaughlin, who probably a lot of people in Glasgow and Scotland yeah, know, yeah, does a lot of pop yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I got lots of other bits of work through him and then various things happened, including the, like the, the sugar babes and, and all those things. Um, but after a while, I think on paper, I felt like I looked like I was successful because I was, I was on TV and had done some traveling and was doing all these things. But I didn't actually 
feel that way. Like I'd been playing some jazz and some different things um, and some bits of the pop industry I didn't really like. It was very material and like the musicians and things I was working with and Carrie and all those people, they were all cool and great and really nice people who I still am friends with and I'm grateful to have had those experiences with. But mm-hmm. some of the managers and things in, in that, in my um, experience, they were quite materialistic people who cared mm. a lot about money and not really a lot about music. So yeah. eventually I just sort of decided that I couldn't really do it anymore and kind of left it all. And then mm-hmm. later on, I was doing loads of gigs kind of around time with loads of different acts and mm-hmm. I just uh, got a bit frustrated with the whole thing and decided I'm going to try, try and focus on two or three things and doing them as best I can. Yeah. And it kind of ended up paying off, I think, like for me anyway. Totally. Do you know what? Good for you, man, because yeah, yeah, I think totally. a lot of people are like, like, oh, if, if they're playing high-profile gigs like that, they just think like, oh, I've made it and all that. And they're, they're almost content with that, whereas you obviously knew like this lifestyle isn't for me, you know, yeah. which is totally fair. I think like, a lot of it came down to playing as well. Like I wasn't happy with my playing. And I felt I had a lot that I needed to learn and I was taking lessons with different people whenever I could. And it just got to the point where I was like, I really want to focus on my playing and, and my output. And so, um, yeah. you know, I, I'm just like a, a kid from a small town in the Highlands who started playing drums in his bedroom. And that, that like that hunger to like want to learn stuff and check out music and mm-hmm. that that's the thing that kind of probably drives me i don't really have ambitions to be to be like famous or to be mm-hmm. playing to massive crowds of music which i I don't totally love you know yeah that's probably the, the best reason to keep playing though yeah if things are driving you to do it mm-hmm. yeah you know so that yeah. by the time you're 50 you don't hate the drums yeah, absolutely. It shouldn't, t- it shouldn't take a high-profile gig for you to no, want to keep playing drums. Totally you know? right. Is no. there anything you do out with drumming that, that informs it? Like I, I've started, I've been doing jujitsu for over a year now, and I think it's great. It, ah, it cool. totally gave me a, a, a lust for playing drums again because I spend my entire day in a drum store. So to do that and then to go play, I was getting to where you were a bit bored of it and a bit like. I just need someone to kick me in the ass, really, and I literally get kicked in the ass regularly. <laughs> um, and it's and it's brought the drum love back. Because yeah. it's a hobby, it's a it's a different focus entirely. Uh, yeah, I have a few things. I, quite a while ago now, but I did do a few different martial arts, um, particularly just towards the end of uni and stuff. I got really into it. And I think actually some of it was really helpful for informing practice, you know, like focusing on one movement yeah, and slow totally. and, and perfecting mm-hmm. it. And that, that had a really big influence. But um, now like, I like... I like making stuff, so I really like um, DIY and stuff. Um, so I've just made like a a mezzanine in my in my flat, so I can have like my my xylophone and the marimba and a drum kit and things in there. And I love like that. It's h- half menial, so you like you're not engaging your brain. Yeah, yeah. you're just doing something <laughs> and half creative. And at the end of it, there's like there's a very clear end, whereas like you know like perfecting playing one thing like a rudiment could go on forever yeah. whereas with that there's a very clear end and you can see it and it's yeah. physical yeah. so I love that kind of stuff I also love I think exercise is great for keeping your mind healthy so mm-hmm. try and go running and cycling quite a bit love hill walking bit mm-hmm. mountaineering that kind of stuff just to get um, away from the kit at times yeah, yeah. and Blow cooking oh cool cooking's good these things all have balance in them yeah and they all have an element of like 
making something. Yeah. So yeah. anything that's creative, I, I t- like or hands on, I, I quite enjoy it. Yeah, cool. What's your favorite thing to cook? Uh, um, pad thai. Oh, oh wow. wow. Okay, so if I'd known that, you'd have brought dinner. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I really wish I'd known that. Uh, you'd be very hungry by the time I finished <laughs> it. Like, like, uh, especially if I'm like making an effort, I like to not be rushed. So oh, like, totally. it takes uh, yeah, ages yeah. to <laughs> cook. Like, absolutely ages. And a couple of glasses of wine. Yeah, while no I'm getting doing some wagamama for you then. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Um, what is it? Cause I've totally lost my train of thought. Would you ever make drums? Would you ever get into that? I think it's too much of a rabbit hole. I think. Traditionally, I've probably been like a bit of an all or nothing person or my friends would say that. And so I think that I wouldn't be able to maintain like practice or playing if I made drums. I think I would just go full into it and have to like do it all the time and perfect it. But also there are so many people making amazing drums. I I don't I don't know where where my shitty drums would fit into that (laughs) market. (laughs) But, you know, like I mean, like if I don't think there's I can't think of a drum that I think I have to make it because no one can make it. So I'm not sure I'd have to drive to keep it up. It's probably I think it's probably a hard way to make a living. Mm. I can imagine. So, you know, there's a load of independent drum makers in the UK and just the infrastructure alone on how you're going to send that anywhere. Yeah, it's just it's going to break into your your what you make. Yeah, just I, I, I used to there used to be a guy that uh, made um, stave shell drums, and I, I ended up buying one years ago. He was a customer, and he couldn't make bass drums because the wood glue would just break the drum because the glue was stronger than the shell. The shell wanted to move, ah, yeah, but the yeah. wood glue wouldn't let it. So he was like trying to figure out how to get a glue that would make the staves stay secure but not crack the shell. So any bottom line is just gone because somebody buys a drum and then immediately needs replaced because they take the drum out, gig it, and it's broken. I I think you're right, man. That would just be a total... I tried making my own drum one time. Really? Yeah, I did, yeah. I made a snare drum, or I attempted to make a snare drum, and it just, yeah. Like, there's a reason why guys like Peril and Tama and all well, these guys like, are making drums. Did you buy the shell, or did you make the shell? So, here, so I got this crazy idea of, like, when I was a bit younger, I was like, I want to make a drum. Like, I just want to do it, just to say just I've done one. it. Just yeah. one? Just one, yeah. I want off collector's item, yeah. <laughs> um, and, um, yeah, so I, I bought the shell... <laughs> The shell came with bearing edges already cut in it, so I thought, great, like someone's done the hard bit for me. <laughs> um, and I was like, cool, I just, all I need to do is put the drill holes in. So I bought like about, I wanted to make it eight lug, so I got eight tube lugs, like double ended, and um, got like, a, you know how the proper like, <laughs> build your own drum, like the, the poor mat thing that you yeah. set the drum on and it like gives you like a clear indicator of here's where it's cut the holes and all that. Did all that, mismeasured one lug by like a quarter of an inch and like the 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 tube lug sat slightly like diagonal raging and it was like one and i was like oh because i thought i'd done so well and i was like my mum's gonna be so proud of me (laughs) we did play this and then it was just like did you try and play it 
Well, I couldn't get a head on it, so... Because how how's oh, the tube lug yeah, sat, it was, like, hoop. diagonal. Because of the hoop, yeah. Yeah, like, so I was, it. like, I went to put, like, a lug in it, and it just, or a tension rod in it, and it just kind of sat right beside it. Get the poly <laughs> fill it out. No. <laughs> so, yeah, so you're, you're probably better off, man. I mean, you'd probably do a far better job than I, I would, but, you know. I don't know. I did actually I have had some hobbies like fixing up various drums and things and I did actually try and make like a free floating mechanism once and uh actually I think I gave it to Rich I don't think he's got it. Right. So yeah. I'll have yeah, to try and find it, but it's like it's crap. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice present though, wasn't it? <laughs> you can, you can, Happy birthday, yeah. You can totally see where the R and D goes, can't you? And how these companies with so much money just make such great gear. Yeah. Like Yamaha Pearl, Tam. I think Yamaha, Pearl, Tam and Mapex, any drum shop in the, the world kind of has to have those brands. You couldn't really, I don't think, I don't think you could have a drum shop, a successful drum shop without them because they're just, they just make so many instruments mm-hmm. and so well. And they're so widely known as well. Aye. Like yeah. non-drummers know like yeah. what Yamaha is, you know. Yeah. yeah. Massive corporation. They make swimming pools, don't you know? Yamaha makes swimming they pools? They do. Yeah. Paul's been in the factory. And yeah, they make swimming pools. So they make pianos, motorbikes, swimming pools, drums, keyboard. like a bunch yeah. of electronics, PA, all like there's the massive corporation. Yeah, yeah. Like if you took, you you could probably they could probably never make drums again, and it wouldn't matter. I would be skeptical about going to Yamaha and asking for a cup of tea because it would probably like be better than any cup of tea <laughs> I would have prior and after. Probably, like you know. So what's next, man? Um, for like the as the trio got some stuff coming up. You writing new music? Yeah, well, actually, yeah, I've been just been doing that today. Been working on a bunch of new music. Um, we have just finished a run of shows. We're now not going away till we've got quite a big run of shows in Europe and. January, February, March next year, going to a lot of cool places. So trying to get a bunch of music together, new music for that, and work on the new um some new drum interpretations, which I've been doing. I've also been doing a lot of percussion, so I'm learning a lot of tune percussion music at the moment. You going to four mileage? Uh a little bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good. Is Evelyn teaching you? Um well I've definitely picked up some pointers, yeah. But um, She's amazing. Yeah, she's great. She came in to see you one day actually. Oh, she yeah. still she just came out in the shot like randomly. I think Tony actually she'll probably kill me for saying this, but Tony actually nearly passed out because Evelyn's <laughs> one of her heroes. So she got to ha- Tony oh, got to meet her and all that. She was really sweet, really lovely. Yeah, she's amazing. She, it's been like such a like privilege to get to play play with her, and I've learned so much. We also have like a a drum, a double drum duet every oh, su- every set at the moment, and like it's really um, distracting because <laughs> there's bits. Where we're playing the same thing, and when I hear her play it, I'm like, ah, she, yeah, like she's just so great at making everything sound great and have putting so much more into the phrase. Uh, yes, it's I have. It's yeah. so good, eh? It's so it's great. I've not seen it. No, yeah, I, seen it. I mean, the first five, you glean more in the first five minutes on how to play something mm-hmm. than I don't know, like a year of lessons. She's talking about interpretation and dynamics and stuff. She's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Like role model on and off the bandstand, really for yeah. me. Yeah, and she was just she just came in. She was just so lovely. Yeah, you know, and she bought some stuff from us and was happy to do photos and all that stuff. It was really great, you know, really down to earth. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, great, cool. So a tour. So what's after the tour? Then just whatever happens. You know, yeah. Have you thought that far ahead? I I definitely haven't thought that far ahead. The project is like well, like I don't know. I guess the band, the four of us, are 
touring at least until the end of 2021 now because of the wow. way bookings have gone. So wow. it's just kind of like, um, yeah, hopefully it just kind of keeps going. Um, Would you do a solo tour for the drum and terp? I would, yeah. Um, be really cool, like media package, you know. Yeah. So I haven't worked out what I'm going to do with it when I finish the eight, but um, I actually just got, I can't say too much about it, but I just got a, a commission to do a kind of solo drum thing. Oh, great. Um, kind of more in the classical music realm, but yeah, so I would definitely do that. Um, and I think that it might, I might be able to do something interestingly educational with the content of the pieces if I broke it down enough, you know. For um, sure, man. Mm-hmm. I'm also, I have written a book on on independence, but I haven't worked out what to do with it yet. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I'm hoping to do some kind of online, maybe online package with it. But like, yeah, I'll, I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. I'm yeah. try and bury myself in, in learning some new music for the next few weeks. But yeah, I was, I'd like to try and, Anything which means I can spend more of my time on the things that I'm I'm really interested in and like have people check it out. I'm I'm well up for you know. Cool. So. Mm-hmm. Cool. You checking any good music out just now? Yes. In fact, on the train home, I'm gonna listen to Steve Lemon's new album with Craig Taborn oh, um, okay. and Matt Brewer and Damon Reed. Uh, what else have I listened to? Yeah, a pianist from Finland called Aki Rissanen. I yeah, think yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've just checked out his album away over. It's totally killing. Uh, is what else? D- is he on audition? Uh, he might be on audition, yeah. Yeah, because they've taken the world over. Yeah, because they, they've signed a few big American folks, yeah. Chris Potter and yeah, whatnot recently. Get, um, Kneebody? Uh, I don't know. They might I well think do. they've got Kneebody as well. Uh, Ant from the Trio's on audition, so I'll, I'll ask him when I see him yeah. next. But yeah, they seem to be doing a lot of interesting, like, yeah. great music. Audition's a label. Adam's looking at it, is like what? It's, what? Like it's a jazz. It's a massive jazz label in the okay, UK. Yeah. So, uh, Pete Zeldman actually. Anyone that's interested in like interesting drummers, Pete yeah. Zeldman, Dan Weiss. Yeah. Um, those are two of my biggest influences at the moment. Who I'd go back to again, and again, and again. Mm-hmm. You had the new Tool record? No, uh, it's on the list. It's uh, it's great. It took me a couple of goes to to kind of appreciate it. I saw um, I saw some kind of meme or something online about that, about the fact that Danny Carey doesn't put snares on in the whole record really or something. Doesn't. Is that true? <laughs> yeah, it is um, true. There's no snare wires on. Uh, really? Wow. No. He plays the whole record with the snares off. I listened to a podcast with him a few a couple of weeks ago, and I, who was it with? I can't remember, but it was it was pretty funny. I think it was the Trap Set. Yeah, Trap right, Set. Joe Wong. Um, yeah, he sounds like like pretty hilarious guy. <laughs> yeah, I think I'd imagine they're all mental. Yeah, you know, like Maynard's, like he makes wine and makes his own pasta, <laughs> like just yeah, just gets on with it. He he gets stuff done, that dude. Yeah, Maynard. Yeah, he's he's. But yeah, like I didn't. He had a pop gig as well, Danny Carey. Now, who was it? Was it Carl Carpenter or something? Oh um, wow, I can't remember who. What I need to check out the podcast again. Like, right. My brain's gone to mush, but yeah, like back in the day, he had he had a pop game. I was like, wow, I'd love to hear yeah, that. Totally. Wow, yeah, that'd just be playing Pud Smack all night. That'd yeah, be awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I bet it was really deep. Yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. But yeah, the, the the new album's great. Um, it but like I say, it took me a couple of goes, um, because it doesn't, it doesn't. I'm gonna hesitate to say it doesn't rock as hard as two records have in the past, but it's really dense, and the playing on it's mega. So yeah, yeah it's worth a check out for sure. I don't want to be controversial here, but um, when listening to that podcast, Danny was saying, like, because obviously it took him a long time to work on that record. He said, like, yeah, we were there, like, Monday to Thursday, one to five, 
every week working on that. Like nobody worked harder than us to make that record. And I thought to myself, it's not a bad gig yeah. going to work like three to four days a week for four hours a time playing 11 tunes. Like most drummers don't have it that <laughs> easy, Danny. So yeah, like, yeah. like, whilst I've got a huge amount of respect for you, like yeah. dry your eyes. Billy Corgan talking about the pumpkins and like, yeah, like we did 12 hours a day, six days a week. He would give them a Sunday off. Wow! All the way through, like, like hang on till I get my violin out. You yeah, know, like, all the way through, like that melancholy stuff, and he would do her crazy hours. Yeah, you know, just to get it done. So, thirteen years to make a record that takes five goes to listen to uh, appreciate it was a bit like. Oh. I'm still not there yet with it. I still need to I, give it. I, a, I, I, I was a bit wah wah wah. A little know, bit, yeah. But yeah, you'll dig it, man. It's great. Yeah, I mean, it's also quite a nice position to be in that you can like not put a record out for 13 years and probably still live like a very high standard yeah, of totally. living. So it, it goes to show when they put all their back catalogue on Spotify and iTunes, they blew all the charts out of the water. They went to number one literally every chart they're in mm. and have stayed there. Mm-hmm. It's like there's a massive appreciation for them. Yeah. yeah. They are very good. They're still contracted for another one, I think. I think they have got five records under their current recording contract. Cool. So they'll, there has to be another one. Do you reckon it'll be in 13 years though? Well, Maynard will be 72, something like that. Oh, wow. Some, no, uh, sorry, 69, something like that in that time. So I hope not, because mm-hmm. he'll be an old man. Yeah. And I can't imagine Maynard wanting to rock out when he's like that age, you know. Um, but who knows? Who's one of the, just quickly, who's one of the best bands you've seen live? Best bands I've seen live? Oh man, that is on the spot. Um, <laughs> guards down. Yeah. Can I can I list a few? Of course you can. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so one of the most influential was seeing the Chris Potter at um, at Ronnie's for three nights because it was like getting to hear the same tunes several nights and where where they took it and also like the shared experience of seeing that with people and actually trying to absorb some of it and mm-hmm. maybe the greatest um, saxophone player. Yeah, and and like. Dan, Dan Weiss is just doing unbelievable things on the drum kit and I hadn't heard him play live before that. Right. Uh, and there, there was all kinds of other things that happened during that that three days. But yeah, that like hearing the sound he made on the, mm. on the kit and, and some of the solos and stuff, that was like, I'll, I'll never forget that. Also quite high up was that Tigran gig at the Bim House. And that same weekend I saw... Uh, Gonzalo Rubacava with Horatio Hernandez oh, at, wow. at the same venue the night before. I think it was the night before, yeah. So they, like they were back to back gigs. So that was probably like those were t- two amazing shows. Um, maybe yeah, I think I'll leave it at those those three because they just popped straight into mind. But that's mm-hmm. probably doing a disservice to a lot of music, which is blowing my mind. Oh yeah, Steve Lemon with Celebione in Paris last year. That was like. A really interesting jazz hip hop cross crossover mm-hmm. project with uh, Damon Reed on drums, and that like that was one of the best things I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, all the usual social media. I think Instagram is at Rich Cass. Facebook is like Rich Cass Drums and richardcast.com and Twitter is Richard Cass as well. I should probably sort out which one I'm going to be, Richard or Richard. It's kind <laughs> of quite we'll low we'll down the list. The show notes as well yeah, so that, that, that people can see them. So, um, Thanks very much, man. It's yeah, been thanks really for something, Really great. And yeah. thanks for coming in. And, and well, uh, yeah. yeah, Look forward to seeing what you put out next, man. Thanks very much. Well, yeah, thanks for having me and uh, yeah, for making 
a great podcast and having a great place for us drummers to come and oh, buy drums and get advice. Nice. Cool. cool. Sweet, man. See you guys. Cheers. Bye. Bye. So, what do you think, man? Wow. Totally, eh? Wow. Um, what a player. I, I just, I, just great stories and great insight into playing really, really difficult stuff. Yeah. Like, I love talking about breaking it down into, like, little bits mm-hmm. to try and make your practice worthwhile. I think that's really, really cool. It's really clever. I, on, like, the other side of the fence, when he was talking about the pop stuff, I liked how open and honest he was in saying, like, this life or this side of the industry is not for me. Yeah, totally. You know, I think a lot of people, if they were doing stuff like that, would consider themselves successful. But yeah. he's like, man, this is it's not my thing at yeah. all. It's not. Not, uh, he didn't enjoy the vibe. Mm-hmm. Not, I guess, maybe not being challenged enough if you, if you look at what he's doing now. Yeah, you know? totally. So, totally. Yeah, brave of him to step back from what could have been a burgeoning and blossoming pop career if that's not his vibe yeah totally yeah it's great totally. fair play man yeah totally so yeah. he was lovely he was he's a really cool guy um, he was I. he talked a bit about i'll just clear up some of the people he talked about uh drummer wise we i asked him uh when he went to see a guy called tigran hamazian uh who was playing drums i said nate or arthur uh, and i was referring to either nate wood or arthur natek uh, Nate Wood is the drummer from Kneebody and has that four project where he's like a one man band with bass, synth and drums and voice he played for Tigran for a few years and now there's a new guy called Arthur Natek I think that's how you say his second yeah. name uh, so it was Arthur that was playing drums and we talked about Damon Reed, who uh, played for Chris Potter uh, and some of the other guys we talked about we mentioned Danny Carey with the new Tool album great player very good player so we, I might talk about him next one um and uh yeah that i think that was all the drummers that we mentioned mm-hmm. um some of the other artists if there's any we've missed we'll put it yeah, in the, the, in the, the link at the bottom yeah um but richard's super cool super humble i mean, get to play with evelyn glenn he's amazing oh yeah i don't actually know a lot about evelyn um she's amazing man she's yeah. some sort of percussion um goddess if you like you know she's very <laughs> very 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 good uh she's She's achieved a lot in her career. Yeah. Um, and is, uh, she, like, just, yeah, she should be get checked out. We'll link her uh, stuff as well. Definitely. Um, and yeah, she paid us a visit one day, just randomly out of the blue, came in to say hello. She must have been in town doing something, mm-hmm. BBC perhaps, I don't know. Um, and came to say hello. She's great. Yeah, man. Very good. So, yeah, um, the next one we do will just be what we're going to talk about. I think for the next one, we'll maybe do a bit of a QA. Yeah, sounds yeah. like a plan. Sweet. Okay, uh, okay so uh, I hope you enjoyed, Rich. Uh, uh, hit us up on all the platforms. And yeah. if there's anything you want to hear about, give us a shout. Yeah. Don't forget to come and see us in Glasgow and in Leeds. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, um, yeah. Leeds is now open on Sundays Holla. as well. Holla. Housekeeping. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Right. Good. Well, uh, yep. 24-7 on drummersonly.co.uk as well. So we'll catch you guys soon. See you in a bit. Bye-bye.